We are starting today an extended sermon series that's going to be doing an overview of the Bible. Now, when I say an overview of the Bible, I don't know how that sounds to you. Maybe for some of you, like, cool, let's do that. Maybe some of you are like, Arlen, that doesn't sound very exciting. Don't we talk about the Bible every week or something? I don't know. And so maybe, it doesn't, maybe, that, maybe that doesn't touch a felt need in your mind, like the Bible, you know. But I am excited about the next few months and, and, and time we have in front of us. But it's going to be a lot of fun as we do this together. Now, this will not be a deep dive, Okay. Uh, let me give you some context of comparison point here, what I mean by deep dive. When I first became the um, pastor of Lighthouse Church over uh, 24 years ago, I became pastor of, of Lighthouse, um, I wrote a Sunday school curriculum for our Sunday school classes at that time myself for, the, for, for a while. And I decided to write the lessons through the stories of the Bible, back from the very beginning, Genesis, all the way through. And I didn't even do the deepest dive. I mean, I did, we could have gone a lot longer, all the nuances and stuff. I just kind of hit the most important topics, high points, all the stories that had any interest at all. Kind of did this walkthrough of the Bible. And it took us four years to get through that curriculum in Sunday school. Four years. Or, or actually, four and a half years. That's closer to a deep dive. We're not going to be doing that with this series, okay? Well, we are going to take some time to kind of go, kind of look at the narrative arc of the Bible, kind of see what's in there, and it's going to take us a while. It could take us a lot of 2023 to do this. Now, I'm not, the reason why is because we're not going to promise that we're going to do it every week. We might come to certain natural conclusion points over a certain sections and then step away for a week or two and talk about something different as God leads us and then come back to it afterwards. So I don't know how it's going to flow. We don't have a, I'm usually really good at mapping out my calendar and it's a little fluid this year. But a good portion of this year, we're going to do an overview of the Bible. And I want to do that so that the Bible is not some big intimidating th book to you. You know, this big thing where you don't know where to f what to find, where to find what in it. And it just means all these things and it's a little mysterious. I want to take the fog off of it. A lot of times something that's, that's new, whether you're new to faith or you're young, or maybe you've been in church a while but you've just never figured it out, sometimes a new topic can feel overwhelming but you just kind of got to, it's like learning a new language. You just got to get started. And once you get in there, it becomes less intimidating and more natural to understand. It's kind of like in the last 10 years of my life, there have been several different parts of my life from just how we redirected our church experience and faith and from our traditional background all the way to, you know, you know investing in finance and other topics in my life that I've had to learn like a whole new process of thing that feels overwhelming at first. And then once you get into it, you kind of get your feet wet, and it becomes normal. So if the Bible as a topic is mysterious and big and it's like too much to understand and it's just out there in church world, I want this to become something that you feel fluent in and understand what's there, why it's there, you know, what it means to us today over the course of this year. So, so I hope you'll stay along for the ride. And honestly, whether it sounds exciting to you or not, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be two things. I think it's going to be informational, and I think it's going to be inspirational. Informational in the sense of you'll kind of know what's there and where it comes from and so on. And I think it'll, it'll be good information. I really do. I think that'll be fun. But I think more importantly, it'll be inspirational. We're going to find in these stories and in these overarching views of, of parts of the history of the Bible and the things that take place, you're going to find things that will matter to your daily life and will help you be a better person. So it's going to be informational and inspirational, and I think it's going to be a great, a great time. But you, you have to come along and find out for yourself.
okay, in the weeks to come. Now, that's the good news. The bad news <laughs> is that that starts next week. Today may not be as inspirational because today I'm just going to do an information dump on you. So I want to apologize in advance for what I'm going to give you today. It's just going to be like, here's like the, the information dump for the, for the overview of the overview. And then starting next week, here goes the ride, okay? So come and find out for yourself. But today, let me just kind of unload. And I'll be honest with you, this is a very hard thing for me to do. I have, I try to practice my sermons before I preach them. I have ran through this one five times before today. This is my sixth and seventh time speaking this on the stage to get ready for today. I had to keep cutting out more chunks because I had too much to say and you'd have been here all day and no one wants to do that. So I just, I've gutted this. I had a big table up here with all these visual aids and props to help me teach what I was gonna say today. I tossed, last night about one in the morning, I hauled them out of here and put them in my office and grumbled and got rid of my, half my visual aids and half my notes. I mean, I've just whittled this thing down today and I'm gonna take some of what I was gonna say today and I'm gonna do it down the road in a few months maybe and separate them because there's just too much here. But today is gonna be kind of the prelude where I'm gonna set the stage for what we're gonna start next week and it's gonna be a good journey for us. But let me just warn you ahead of time, slap yourself if you need to you know, stay focused, slap your neighbor if that helps you, I don't know. Don't really slap your neighbor, but just stay awake and, and with me as I kind of give you the big picture because if we were doing a deep dive on the Bible, it'd be like getting down out of, on the ground and walking through the, through the woods, right? taking the long path through the city or something. We're gonna like be doing more of a slow version overview from above in the next few months. And honestly, today I'm gonna even go further and this is like the satellite view from the sky. The satellite view today of the whole thing. And then like the after this we'll be doing the hot air balloon float over for the next few uh, weeks and months, okay? So, but I need to do this today. So I'm apologizing up front Come back next week as we start the journey, but let me give you a lot of information today as we get started. It begins by using the term the Bible. What is the Bible? We use that term all the time. What does it mean? We just throw it around. The Bible is a term that comes from a Latin phrase that is tabiblia, tabiblia, which comes from a Greek term, which literally means the books, the books. And a simple of a statement as that is, it would help some of us tremendously to know how to approach the Bible if we thought about it not as the book. I know a lot of times we I got the book. You need to read the book, you know. I understand that term. But it's actually the books. It's a lot of different books by a lot of different authors from a lot of different time periods writing each one for a different purpose to accomplish a different goal for over a over 1,500 year period of time all over the place. And, and so don't think of it as just a book. Think of it as a big binding collection of a lot of books. So let me try to illustrate this. I had a whole visual aid and we just cut that. So let me kind of give you this illustration. How many of you are readers? You like to read fiction or not? I don't care. You just love, love to read. Raise your hand. Okay. So picture someone came to you and said, hey, I got something really cool. We've taken the top 50 books of the last 50 years by various authors. And we're going to take all these, we've surveyed people, we've, we've read the results of the bestsellers, all that kind of stuff. We're going to take the top 50 books from the last 50 years and put them all together in one big collection. These books can be from different authors like John Grisham, James Patterson, Nicholas Sparks, Stephen King, 
whatever it may be, all these different authors. We're going to take them and we're going to put all their writings together and make a collection of 50 books in the past 50 years and bind them all, print them together in one big binding. And you can own that if you want to. If you got that collection, would you call that a book or a collection of books? How would you explain that to somebody? Different authors with different goals and different types of books and different things they were accomplishing. How would, you, how would you explain that? That's the Bible. It's the books. It's a whole bunch of different writings with a lot of different people. We put together as sacred and, and important to our faith. And our English Bibles today, and I say today because uh, what's, what has made the cut to be in them, there's a lot more writings than are in here. Let's put it that way. A lot more writings in ancient times and, and beyond that throughout the even recent centuries was debated about what kind of, you know, you know should be in and what should be closely, close to in and so on and so forth. But what we have in our English Bibles today is we have 66 different books or writings. And our Bibles actually don't think about them as just a collection of 66 books. I want you to think of the Bible. Are you ready? I'm going to make it even more. Think of the Bible as two collections totaling 66 books. There's 10 of two different volumes, each having a bunch of books. Those two volumes are the Old Testament, which has 39 books in it, and the New Testament, which has 27 books in it. Combined, put together, makes the, the Bible, the books, 66 books. So the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, for our purposes, I want to use different terms to describe, and I do this a lot, so you may have heard this before. I think it would help us to do what I'm doing today, to think about these two terms in different terms. Because some of our terminologies get churchy after a while. Like the word Bible, it's just, we don't think about the books, we just think about the Bible. We, the gospel, what does the gospel mean? We don't know, it's just a church word, right? It means good news, right? So the Old Testament and New Testament, I wanna give you different terms for those two collections of books. We'll call the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament is the Christian scriptures. If you can think in those terms, it will help you understand these two sections full of books. The Hebrew scriptures with 39 books, the Christian scriptures with 27 books in it. Now I actually have with me here a copy of the Hebrew Bible. And it's kind of large, it might freak you out. The reason it's so large is not because it has to be, but because this particular copy I have is, um, it's got both the Hebrew translation of the scripture, the Hebrew scriptures and an English translation of them. So it's like two different versions in there, plus a whole lot of footnotes. So it could be a whole lot smaller than this if it wasn't what I have, but this is what I have. Uh, actually, the Hebrew, Bi uh, the Hebrew Bible, they call it the Tanakh. And, um, and I have this with me here today as a visual aid of the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, understand something about the Hebrew Scriptures. The Hebrew Scriptures are largely, and if you don't miss, don't miss this, please, the Hebrew Scriptures are the story of a nation. It's all about a nation. It's their founding, their original fathers, the, the people that, you know, and the mothers that became the first parents that birthed the family that became the nation. It's, it's the, the nation, it's the family growing. It's them being, losing their freedom and being put into slavery. It's them being growing in those years of slavery into a, a bigger group. It's them being set free through, and finding independence from slavery. And that young nation traveling and wandering for a while, coming to a land that was promised to their ancestors and settling down there and, and occupying it. It's the story of this nation, um, just, um, it's, it's the story, it's their laws, their nation's laws. Every nation has laws, right? Our nation has laws, other nations have laws. It's their nation's laws of what they're supposed to do and 
what they, they shall do and shall not do, and what the crimes and punishments were if you did break the law. Some crimes were punished, some crimes were capital punished, you know, whatever they may be. It's, the, it's their laws, it's their history, it's their early rulers, it's their deliverers, it's their military heroes, it's the story of their kings, it's, the, it's all the adventures, it's the prophets who spoke to their lives, it's the story of a nation. And a lot of people today, there's, there's, there's a lot of Jewish people who, they, this is their, these are their scriptures, if, if they're practicing, there's also secular Jews like there are secular everybody, but, but there's religious Jews that are not Christians, they belong to the religion of Judaism, which is basically saying what we always had as the Jewish people, our scriptures are what we follow, even if they don't accept Jesus as being the Messiah promised in their scriptures. Now, the reason you have to understand that is to a lot of Jewish people, their book, their scriptures are really a, a history of God's blessings for a nation. It's, na- it's not really about heaven and stuff too much. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of earthly stuff. For example, if we do good, God will bless our nation. If we, that's, what the, that's what the scriptures taught them as people. God gave us our country, formed our nation. The Jewish people would say he promised to bless us as we did what's right. And if we go off the right path, we'd have a hardship. And so if we follow God, we'll have national blessing. That's what their scriptures taught them about their nation. That's their story, their legacy. And, and, and when they looked for a Messiah to come, that we see that Jesus Christ was for the whole world, they were not looking for a savior for the world. They were looking for a political Messiah because, again, their context religiously was we do good with God and he blesses us nationally. They wanted a national Messiah to come set them free from foreign occupation and to make them strong and mighty. And there was, and not everyone saw it that way. There's a lot of a a spiritual lens, but a lot of it was just a, a story of a nation looking for and so those who did not accept the spiritual side of what Jesus came to do and didn't become believers in him, Christians, they would still worship, um, they would still serve, uh, use their Hebrew Bible as their religious book, the Hebrew scriptures. Now, I can't nerd out too much here because I want to get stuck in the weeds here. This is what will take us to all afternoon, one of the things. But um, the Tanakh is the Hebrew, tra- uh, Hebrew uh, Bible, and then there's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. And if you want to nerd out with me later on, Come find me and let's talk about the difference between the Septuagint and the Tanakh. It's just a little silly uh, idioms and differences, not much of anything. Although it's interesting that when Jesus walked this earth, there was a Bible translation debate going on back then, both in what was in there and how you worded things. But he never really talked about it much. But anyhow, talk to me about it. I'd love to share the differences with you. But here's what I want you to know. Apart from divisions and numbers of books in the Hebrew Bible, Apart from the divisions and the order in which it's laid, this is the exact same thing overall. The exact same thing, just divided differently. But the Hebrew Bible is the exact same thing we call our Old Testament. Again, it's just divided into different chunks. Instead of uh, 24 books, it's 39, but it's the same writings, just divided differently in a different order. It's the same thing. So we put it into what we call our New Old Testament, but it's the Hebrew Scriptures. It's about a nation. And their story. Now, some of you might be here today thinking this. You might be saying, Arlen, cool, but why would me, why would I, as a non-Hebrew person, non-Jewish person, why would I care about Jewish history, right? Now, maybe you've never thought that before when you think about the Bible. You, you never thought about it. You're just like, well, I got the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, and you've never thought about why you would care about the first section. And, and that's fair because maybe you just don't question those things or it's just not important to you to think in that wheelhouse. But if you would ask the question, why would I even care about this 
the Hebrew scriptures, or we call the Old Testament. Why do I care? I'm not a Hebrew person. That is a fair question. I want to tell you, congrats on being a thinker. I love thinkers, okay? Great question. Good for you to think about that. But I'm going to tell you, and by the way, it's a fair question, and here's why. I don't care about all the world histories, okay? So I love history. I'm a history kind of nerd, and I love U.S. history the most. In fact, for a while, I taught U.S. history at a high school level, and I really enjoyed it for a few years. And I love U.S. history, and I can teach it the most, but if you were to ask me about Chinese history, I won't know much about it. And quite honestly, I don't really care that much about it because it's not my history. Does it make sense? It just doesn't matter to me. And I imagine there are people in the world today who might not care about U.S. history unless they plan to move here. Maybe they still wouldn't care. I don't know. So why would a non-Jewish person or Hebrew person care about Hebrew history? Like, why does that matter to me? They're a story of their nation, their kings, their rulers, their laws, their, their special stories. Why does that matter? And the simple answer of why the Hebrew scriptures matter to us is because, basically because of Jesus. Because the promised Messiah that they had promised to come all along, the Savior, came and was born into the world. God promised to send his son into the world to be our Savior and the Redeemer to bring mankind back to him as we've gone into sin. And the Savior was born into this world, into some family, into some nation, and it was that nation, that family. So it's his story, and if you care about him, because I don't know, he died for our sin. He said he was going to die for us and rise again. And then he went and pulled it off. And anyone who could do that, I'm going to kind of go with what they have to say. So we're all about Jesus here. But here's the thing about Jesus. His backstory includes the Hebrew story. And his backstory is full of prophecies about his coming, even if they were misunderstood by some of the people who had them. Kind of like some of us today misunderstand God, even though we claim to be God, people of God. People in those days misunderstood the coming promises of Jesus, even though they had the scriptures. But, but you can read in the scriptures the prophecies of Jesus coming. And not just Jesus coming, but a lot of world history. Can I, I got to tell you something. Really, the fact that we have these scriptures today, both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures that make up our Bibles, honestly, is a miracle. And I didn't make this point that I really can't afford to or I'll keep you here too long, but here's what I want to say. Ancient times, it was hard to keep record of things. If people wrote things down, what they wrote them on didn't last. There was no printing presses back in ancient times and quality ink and paper and books. They would write things on papyrus, which is a basically material from a plant. And that papyrus would degrade or get destroyed or burned or get lost or just fade in time. And so a lot of things that were written down would not last. The only way that things that were written down in ancient times would survive from antiquity is if someone was constantly taking what was written and then remaking copies by hand, mind you, of everything that was written and making copies of those copies and copies of those copies because as things got old, they'd have to have fresh copies all the time. And a lot of history, people couldn't do that. Or they tried to and eventually it got lost, they got conquered, their records got destroyed, people stopped trying, whatever happened. So we've lost, a lot of ancient history is limited in the world. But we have a lot of history preserved of the Jewish people because they actually took the time to do what people found it hard to do. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, one of the things he did was he commissioned that they would have scribes, people whose full-time job it was to simply copy the writings that they would write down, their back history, their current story, their laws, write them down, and then constantly these scribes would recopy these things over and over again. And that was a big deal because people had to pay that bill. They were supported on other people's donations to the government, so to speak. 
And they were given a salary to do nothing but make copies of the writings so that they would constantly survive. And really, it's a miracle of preservation, which is one thing that God promised to do, is to preserve his word, and he's done so. It's a miracle. And so as you read the Hebrew scriptures, you get some of the best history of ancient times full of prophecies about a coming Savior in Jesus, but also about all sorts of world events around them and just amazing things that, were, that happened, that were predicted to happen, that actually happened. So it's a wonderful thing. One more reason that we ought to consider reading the Hebrew scriptures besides the backstory of Jesus and the prophecies about Jesus, one more reason we ought to do it even though we're not Jewish people most of us, right, are not. Probably almost none of us are at any level. The reason we ought to is a reason we ought to read it is because of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was writing. He was a missionary who traveled and, and spoke. Uh, he, he spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all sorts of people. He um, brought them to, to Jewish people in other countries and cities where he went. He brought them to non-Jewish people. They would call non-Jewish people Gentiles. The Gentiles, people like you and me who were not Jewish people, were brought the message of Jesus as their Savior, and they would believe. And then Paul would leave those cities and write letters back to them to help them govern their lives and follow Christ. And in one of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to the church in the city of Corinth, and the church in Corinth had some Jewish believers in it that would have known the scriptures. And Paul would talk to Jewish people about Jesus Christ from their ancient Hebrew scriptures. But to other people who were Gentiles, he would just say, look, this unknown God about you don't know about is Jesus. He would just share Jesus because they didn't have the backstory. So as Paul would write letters back to these churches full of some Jewish and a lot of non-Jewish believers who didn't have all that history necessarily, Paul would explain to these people why they should still pay attention to this scriptures that tell the story of a Jewish nation. And he explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 by saying, all these people back then, they were blessed by God, and some of them, they did what was right, and God blessed them further, and then they would do what was wrong, and they found hard times would fall upon them, and they would murmur and complain, and that would bring hard times upon them. They would do the wrong things, and that would bring hardship upon them. And he tells the story of the people in these scriptures. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, he says, these things, these things happened to them as examples for us. Whether you're a Jew or not, it doesn't matter. Those things there, if you'll read them, they happen as examples for us. They were written down. Here's why. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Now, whenever I read a phrase like the end of the age, I feel the necessity to remind you that does not mean it was the end of all time. He simply means we're at the most recent point in time so far. And as time goes on, there'll be another most recent point in time. But for those of us who are alive today, these old things were written down and they happened as examples and they were written down to warn us and instruct us. We understand this, don't we, logically? We understand this. For example, how many times have we said in, in our own context, those who do not learn from history are... Anybody? Destined to repeat it, right? So we say, you know, learn from history. We say it all the time. If you want to learn it, all the political, you know, hot button issues everyone freaks out about today or financial, you know, economy changings, things that are happening that freak everyone out today, one of the best ways to navigate these times is to step back and look at history. If you look at the history of government, history of politics, history of finance and economies, 
It can, it can teach you some lessons that can help you navigate today's time so you're not so reactionary. Because history will teach you and you can learn from it. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, look, we have this wonderfully preserved history. The backstory to the, to, to the nation that Jesus was born into. And even if you're not a Jew, let these things be instructive to you and warn us and be examples for us because it's good, it's for our good. Now, then we have the Christian scriptures, or what we call the New Testament. <laughs> it's a lot smaller, right? This is the Christian scriptures. Um, again, this is oversized, so don't, don't, don't think of that as scale. But the Christian scriptures are 27 different books or writings that tell the story of Jesus and the history of the early church and the correspondence letters between the early church and the early church leaders. So picture the Christian scriptures, the stories of Jesus' life, the starting of the early church is history and its correspondence letters make up the, the Christian scriptures. And they're wonderful. They're actually the best, the funnest part for, for, for most of us. They're exciting. Although the adventures in the Old Testament are also a lot of fun. But this is, this is, this is the Christian scriptures. We're not going to discuss these much today, but I wanted you to know them. And we put them together and make up our Bibles, the books. And these Christian scriptures are the story of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's the story about our call to faith, our call to relationship with God, and our call to mission to follow Jesus Christ and serve him in this world. Now, we've put them together, 39 books in one collection, 27 books in one collection, all bound together and call them the books, or as we know it today, the Bible. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound kind of weird to some of you, and if it sounds weird, it's maybe because you never heard this thought before. It's not an original thought. It's not new to Arlen. It's, it's been a, a long conversation for a couple thousand years, depending on what circles you're in and what time of history and where you run with. But maybe this is a new thought to you, but I'm just going to say something. Sometimes I wish that they would have kept the two writings separate, the two collections separate. Like they would have, instead of putting them together in one big binder, they'd have just kept the one collection of the Hebrew Scriptures separate from the collection of the Christian Scriptures separate. I sometimes wish they would have done that. And it's not an original idea, but the reason why, by the way, you know who else wishes they would have done that? Uh, the Jewish people who are part of the Jewish religion who don't accept Christianity. They're like, yes, please keep it separate. Don't take our holy book and attach your holy book to it and, and make it yours and, you know, call it all yours. Then, then we call their section the Old, <laughs> the Old Testament. Thanks a lot, you know. So they wish that we keep them separate. But as Christians, I wish it for different reasons that we cut, cut them separate. Because a lot of dumb stuff has happened in Christianity by people taking the whole thing all together and not thinking about context and not thinking about what, they, what was written and why it was written and mixing the idea of the message of Jesus Christ and the Christian evangelistic mandate kind of combined with mixing that with Old Testament warfare and nation building and uh, laws and kind of mix the whole uh, big package together without thinking of context. We've done some stupid stuff through history by not thinking about that kind of context and that separation. We've done some really dumb stuff in the name of the Bible. We've condemned other people and used it as a weapon to tell people that we're, they're wrong without looking at the, the, the point of what we're reading. And, and there's a lot of problems there that are a lot deeper than what I'm saying right now. It's just our whole approach to Christianity. But, but I think that sometimes if we had kept these set writings separate, we could have understood I'm reading the, 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 the scriptures that are the history of a nation and what God was doing in their nation, which is relevant to us as Christians because of Jesus. And then I'm reading the Christian scriptures and story of Christ and the early church. And, and read them both. Make them both a part of our lives, but just kind of have that extra mental reminder that they're, they're two collections. 
But we don't think that way because we're together, and that's an old debate, and it doesn't matter. It is what it is, okay? We have what we have. Now, if, 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 if they're not separated into two separate writings, like I just suggested, I have another wish that's also not original to me and has been discussed a long time. And maybe you don't think this way either, but just bear with me. I kind of wish that if they were put together like they are, I wish they would have put the Christian scriptures at the front and the Hebrew scriptures in the second. Because that way, we could open the Bible and read about the story of Jesus and what he did on the cross and how he came to faith in God and his story and the early church, and then read the backstory. Now, I know why we put it the other way. I know it chronologically, the Hebrew scriptures happened first chronologically, so it makes sense, but I kind of wish it was the other way. And I'm not, and probably you would agree with me if, if you thought it through on some level, if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody and led someone to faith in Christ. If you've ever evangelized anybody and had a new believer come along, maybe it was one of your children came to faith and they were exploring, or maybe it was an, a new believer that you led to faith in Christ, what do you most likely tell a new believer? When they want to start reading their Bibles and learning more about God, you probably have said to them, or you should have said to them, start with the New Testament. Or maybe you'd say, start with the Gospel of John. Or start with the book of Romans. You probably didn't want them to start with Leviticus and Deuteronomy. That's my guess. Because it's just like, woo, you know. So you probably said to start with the New Testament. And I'm just saying the same thing from a stage in a way that you may have not have heard it said before, but I kind of wish that we could approach it that way, but that's not how it is, and that's fine. That's a different conversation in different circles and different days. Point being, we have all of these two books together, the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Scriptures, bound in one big package of 66 total books that we call the Bible. Now, I'm going to break them down for you a little bit. We're going to mainly focus on the Hebrew Scriptures today, because we're going, to get, we're going to start there. Now, in our series for the next few months, we're going to start with the Hebrew Scriptures first, because that's, what, that's the order they're in in our Bibles. And then we're going to get to the Christian Scriptures in a few months here, or whenever we get to them. So the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament, as I said earlier, they have 39 books in them. 39 books in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. What are they? I'm going to break them down for you. They fall into five categories the way that we categorize them in our, what we call the Old Testament. There are five categories to these 39 books. The first category is the law. The law of, you know, or the, the Torah, or the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it. The law is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books were written under the leadership of Moses, who led the people out of slavery, and then had them recorded their back history and story, all the way through their current laws that were given and their history as they continued on. He, he kind of oversaw the penning of these first five books of the Hebrew scriptures called the law. Then after those, the next section is called history. History, yay! And that includes the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Okay, those are books of history. There are kings, there are nations, they're found, there are struggles, there are all sorts of wild stuff in there, even post-captivity writings. Then there's a section called the Poetry and Wisdom section. Poetry and Wisdom include books like Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And then the last two sections are all books of prophets. The, first one, uh, the fourth section is the major prophets, which include Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Lamentations of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the last section we call the minor prophets include Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, 
and Malachi. Those are the 39 books of the Hebrew Scriptures in five categories. Now, if you hear that and you're kind of like, overload, I don't know what to do with all that, that's too much. Don't worry. You don't take it all in in one day. We're going to slowly walk through the narrative arc of the story, and you're going to be able to see these things through the sections, and it will make more sense to you. You need more than one week to absorb that, potentially, and to appreciate what's going on. So we're going to kind of take a journey. And it's not going to be like today where I'm information dumping on you. It's going to be, hopefully, a fun narrative journey for us most of the time. Now, after that, you have the Christian scriptures, as I said earlier, what we call the New Testament, has 27 books or writings. We're not going to talk about that today. I'm going to save it for a review week before we start those once we get through the Hebrew scriptures first. But here's the question. You say, Arlen, what do you want me to do? You're talking about the Bible this year. What are you wanting us to do? Well, one thing I want to encourage you to do this year as we have a conversation about the Bible, what's in it, what's the story, where is it at, and why does it matter? As we have that conversation, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the Bible. Seriously, I want you to read the Bible. Like, read it for yourself. Like, open it up and read it. Know where the different writings are at so you can find them. Know what they're about. And know what lessons you can learn from them. Read them for yourself. Now, I don't know how many of you like to read digitally versus hard copies. Earlier, I asked you if you were, if you were a reader to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you readers in here, you prefer to read your, your information digitally, like on a Kindle? You prefer that? Raise your hand. Okay, I see one. I saw a few in the earlier service as well. You're both, you're either way. How many of you don't, you prefer a hard copy when you read? You want a hard copy. Okay, that's more of you. That was more of you first service also. So more of us are old school. Give me a real book. I can feel and smell the pages, right? And some people like to read digital copies. So I want to give you some tools. If you want to read your Bible digitally, here's my first recommendation to you, okay? Uh, if you have a phone or a tablet, I would recommend all of you today to download the YouVersion Bible app. I love the YouVersion. It's completely free. Life Church built it and funded it and give it out for free and they update it. It's all ministry. And it's wonderful. You can read the Bible in multiple different English translations and actually other languages as well. You can actually have reading plans that will take you through the entire Bible from one end to the other in different formats. You can actually um, read um, in different topics and have studies by topics. You can read with friends and have community. It's really a pretty cool app. You should get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or your tablet. Now, if you're someone who uses a desktop or a laptop, and you use the internet to look things up, I would encourage you to go to BibleGateway.com. When I use my Mac, I go to Bible Gateway. They also have the Bible in multiple English translations. It's a wonderful tool that I kind of like. has some special benefits that you don't find on the app. So I recommend the Bible Gateway as a resource if you use your web browser. And if you want, and you use multiple English translations, but if you want to buy a hard copy that you can hold and, and, and smell and feel, then here's what I want to say about that. You obviously can't buy a copy of it in multiple translations. It's not like the internet, where you can just sit there and say, ooh, let's try another translation. Push, nothing changes, right? So when you buy a, a copy, you got to get one translation. Now, if you want my recommendation for you, I would encourage all of you to get a copy. If you're going to get a hard copy, get an NLT, get a New Living Translation. And why do I say that? It's what we use here. Now, here's my backstory. I've been reading my Bible through from cover to cover every year since I was a teenager with only a couple exceptions. 
Like I've read the Bible, not, not counting what I do as a pastor, not counting sermon prep, okay? Just for my personal growth and edification, I've read the Bible from cover to cover every year, almost every single year since I was a teenager. Dozens and dozens of times. Don't ask me how many years that is because I don't want to tell you how old I am. But I've read it through a lot from cover to cover. And for the last decade or so, I've been reading it through in different English versions. And there's a lot of good English versions that I like them all for different reasons and different ways. Okay, I've even circled back to some of them a second time again. But we like the NLT here and we use it because it's so very well translated and yet written in such a way that it's very easy to use and easy to understand for a young person as well as for a new believer. It's just a well it's just a really done, it just works real well for what we're trying to do missionally around us. So I'd recommend getting an NLT for your use, even if you, see, well, I have other translations. Look, I have probably four different English translations, copies in my office, okay? It's okay to have more than one version, but I'd encourage you adding this one to your list if you don't have it. If you don't know how to order one and want to see me, come see me, and, and, or Anthony Curtis will help you get a copy ordered with your credit card, okay? And so you can do that. Um, but I want you to get a copy of the Bible. Now, Something else I want to encourage you to do is to actually memorize the order of the books of the Bible. Memorize the order. If you were just watching me earlier when I was talking through that list of the 39 books of the Old Testament, I was not looking at the screen. I was doing it by memory. And the reason why is because I memorized them when I was young. So this week in my staff meeting, we were, not my staff, but our, my leadership team meeting, uh, just some of, our, some of our lay leaders who just work in the church. Actually, it was, it was Anthony Curtis, uh, Debbie Douglas, Nathan Christensen, and myself were meeting together talking about things, including this service. And I asked all four of us, I said, have we all memorized the order of the books of the Bible by heart? And all four of us have done so and can still recite them to this day. And so I asked the guy, how did you memorize them? And, and Anthony and Nathan had their own weird ways of how they memorized them, because they're weird people. But um, Debbie, uh, Douglas, and I both memorized the books of the Bible by song. We had put it to music and we learned to sing it. So we kind of learned to tune. I actually asked Debbie in the meeting to sing it to the rest of us, and she did. And then I tried to sing my version, and I kind of chickened out halfway through because I hate to sing in front of people. So anyhow, um, but we, we learned it to song, and we, to this day we still know it. And I encourage you to memorize the books of the Bible. So here's some incentive. First of all, something cool. While we're doing this series in our kids' program over across the hall, our kids this next couple months are going to be learning the books of the Bible by song. They're going to learn the whole list like we teach. We're going to teach it to them so they can sing it and know it by heart. And once they figure it out, we're going to bring them back in here, and we're going to let them sing it for us on stage one Sunday, okay, and kind of lead us in it. So that'll be something fun to look forward to uh, in a few, in a, whenever they're ready to do that. They're going to be learning that in there by song. Now, if you're not in the kids' program and you want to learn it, I want to give you an incentive. And if you're a teenager, I have an incentive for the teenagers. And I told the kids earlier in the first service the same thing. Here's my incentive to the teenagers. If you will memorize, whether you use a song or music to do it or just memorize it a different way, if you'll memorize all 30, we're gonna start with the Old Testament, okay? Because we're gonna get to the New Testament or the Christian scriptures later. If you'll memorize the 39 books of the Hebrew scriptures in order by memory and come to me and recite them to me without a cheat sheet, without looking, you can memorize them and quote them to me in order, teenagers. I'm gonna incentivize you and I'm gonna give you $20 for every teenager in Lighthouse Church that can quote the books by heart to me over the next couple months. So you can do it to this week. You can do it in a couple months. But all the teenagers come see me if you can quote them and you learn them now or in two months, I'll give you $20 to, to, to memorize them as an incentive. In fact, for the first couple teenagers that can memorize them all in order, 
I will give the first couple teenagers $25 to come to me and do it first, okay? So I'm thinking of a love offering later on for some help with that, okay? And also, don't, this is not for every teenager in the world, it's for the teenagers of Lighthouse Church, to make that clear, okay? Second of all, if you're an adult, you say, what about me? I'm an adult, Arlen, what about me? I'm not gonna pay you, I'm sorry, if you're an adult, I'm not gonna pay you to memorize the books. Get a job, okay? <laughs> but, 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 but by all means, you should memorize them too. As adults, that'd be a wonderful thing to do. But I want to encourage you to read your Bibles. I want you to encourage you to understand what the content is. It should be a habit in your life. But don't do it because you think you have to do it in order to be saved. Listen carefully. Don't think you do it in order to be saved. That's not the point. Okay? In fact, I'm going to say something that will maybe a few of you old-time Christians, uh, you know, or been around, you know, I want you to think about this for a minute there. Actually, there were Christians before there was the Bible. Think about that for a minute here. Okay, let me just walk you through it for just a quick moment here. When the early church, when Jesus walked this earth and died and rose again, and the early church exploded at Pentecost with thousands of believers, and it grew a few days, a couple weeks later to thousands of more at the temple, and then it spread out of Jerusalem all over the world, the church experienced its most radical growth in history before one word of the Christian scriptures was put on paper. Because the Christian scriptures were written down in the next decade or two decades after Jesus. That's when they penned them down and, 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 and people started getting copies of them. And even then, it wasn't finished. It wasn't compiled altogether. I mean, people were scattered and people were literate. It wasn't all everywhere for a long time. In fact, it was hundreds of years after Jesus into the third and fourth and fifth and even the early sixth century, they were still debating which writings, there's a whole lot more than 39 Hebrew writings and a lot more than 27 Christian writings, which ones would make the cut, which ones would be outside. And that list kept changing, even in recent years, in Martin Luther's days, you had people, him, him included, debating which one should be in the final cut. So the Bible, as we have it exactly today, has been a fluid thing, at, not, not in our lifetime, but throughout most of church history. And in the early days, it wasn't penned for a decade or two. And I'm saying that for this reason, that people who didn't have the Christian scriptures just heard people come and tell them that Jesus died and rose again. They were witnesses of the death and resurrection of Christ. And they heard that and they believed it and they were saved and they passed it on. Now the church has continued to grow. There are 2.1 billion Christians in the world today. But the most explosive section of growth in Christianity happened before there was the Christian scriptures even written as we know them at all. And even if you say, well, they had the Hebrew scriptures. Well, not all the Gentiles didn't. But here's the thing. Even way back to Abraham's day, generations and hundreds of years, about 500 years before Moses led the, the, right, the leadership to begin the penning of the, of the beginning of the scriptures in the Old Testament, Abraham, we're told in the Bible, believed God through faith and was counted as righteous by God before we had any scriptures then at all. So my point is this. We're not trying to tell you, you need to do this in order to get in with God you got to do this in order to be saved. No, you need to believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's what, that's what salvation comes, through faith in Christ alone. But you ought to read this book. You ought to read this book because it will help you with spiritual growth and formation. It will help you be knowledgeable and ready to do God's will. So Paul the missionary, Paul the missionary, was training a young man named Timothy. Timothy was half Jewish, half non-Jewish. His dad was a Greek. His mom was Jewish through his grandma side. And, and he became a church leader in the early church of Ephesus. 
And Paul was training Timothy in the scripture, in, in, in leadership, in church leadership. And here's what Paul said to Timothy about the importance of the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. So he's saying this is important. Scriptures are important. They're useful to teach us wrong and right and how to follow God, what it looks like, how to live in this world. And then he says in verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And I love that verse because it tells us the point is not to prepare us and equip us to know, I know, I know more than you know. I know better than you know. Let me debate what I know versus what you know. That's not the point. It's not about knowing. It's about knowing in order to be doing, to prepare us to do every good work. The point of the Bible is so we can learn what God wants us to do so we can go out of here and be good husbands and good wives and good moms and dads and good sons and daughters and good neighbors and good coworkers and good employers and good employees and good citizens and just good people to make a difference in the world because we know how to live because God has spoken to us through his word and it has taught us to go out and do the good that we've learned from him. So we need to read the Bible. We ought to read it. Not just to know, but so that we can do. We can read and we can grow. You should read the Bible because ultimately it teaches us one great, great truth. It tells us that God, about God's love. It's God's love story to us. We say all the time, the true sense of the gospel is that God is love. That in love, God created everything, the world. He created us in love. In love, he gave us freedom of, to choose, knowing that that's what freedom and love does, but knowing that we do dumb things with choice, and we have. And in love, from the very beginning, knowing that, he already had a plan of, of, of rescue and redemption and reconciliation. And he sent his son to show us what forgiveness looks like on the cross and the power of conquering sin and death through the resurrection. And, and, and in love, he, he did that to bring us back to himself at his own expense. And in love, he extends an invitation not just to be his creation that has gone astray, but to become his children part of his family, both someday in heaven, but now as he lives inside of us on earth, he invites us into that. But here's the thing. He once again gives us the freedom to choose that for ourselves. And God invites you and calls you into the story. And starting next week, we're gonna start telling that we're gonna begin to tell the narrative arc of the scriptures. And I think it's gonna be inspirational as well as informational. I think it's gonna be fun. Please don't judge next week by today. Maybe you liked today. Maybe you didn't. But today was its own anomaly. Come next week, we're gonna begin our journey together. And I want us to grow this year as a group. And you're gonna see over and over again in the weeks to come that God often would call a person or a group of people out of a messy world. He would call a person or a group of people to, to, to start a family that would become a nation or to be a deliverer or a leader or to be a missionary, he would call people or groups of people to himself. And whenever he did that, he first called them into relationship with him first. And then he invited them to come alongside of him and follow him and do the work of calling other people into relationship with him and reconciling and restoring relationships between people and God and between people and each other. And we are called to follow him to, to, to enter relationship with him and then to join him on a mission and quest with our lives while we are here. And the writings that make up our Bible show us all of this. 
and they call us to respond to God. And I hope that today you'll say, God, I hear your call. Your call to relationship with you, your call to service with you, alongside of you. I hear your call. I am available. Here I am. You can have it all. I'm available. And I hope that as we come on this journey together, we'll have a great time. Forgive the first week of introduction. I needed to do it. I'm excited to start together the story next week.